Welcome to Worship from Schweitzer Church. I'm Pastor Jason. We're so glad you've joined us to worship today. I'm also geeked because it's the first weekend of August. And you know what that means? It means football's around the corner. I can almost smell it. I know summer's still here, but I can almost smell it. Anyway, you're not here for that. You're here to worship. If this is your first time, we are really glad you're here. Let us know. We'd love to send you a gift card. This may be your rookie day, but you can always grow and go deeper with us at Schweitzer. Glad you're here today. Today we're continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Today we're going to hear Jesus talk about how we can't serve two masters. I just said something about worship and football. I wonder if Jesus is going to talk to that. I don't know. Stick around. We'll find out. If you'd like to grow deeper with the sermon, you can always go to Schweitzer.church next and find questions that go along with the sermon. You can have conversations around your kitchen table, around your table at work, or with a small group anywhere. We'd love to encourage you to use those sermon discussion questions and other resources. Next up is Stephanie. She, she's going to share with us things that are happening this week at Schweitzer. Let's take a listen. Welcome to Schweitzer. I'm Stephanie. Schweitzer Kids' last blast of summer is coming up this Thursday from 5 to 7.30. In case you don't know, this is our big community outreach where we fill the Schweitzer parking lot with fun. We'll have bounce houses, hot dogs, snow cones, a car show, and lots more. Bring your kids, your grandkids, invite your neighbors for this great fun evening on Schweitzer's campus. In two weeks, on Sunday, August 21st at 5 p.m., we're headed to the Finley River in Ozark for an afternoon of baptisms and a fun church picnic. If someone in your family is wanting to share their faith story through baptism, this is a perfect opportunity. Talk to someone today at our Blue Booth or to one of our staff members. This will be a great afternoon together. We have so much happening around here in August. Choir rehearsal will be starting back up and we're also looking for people to join our modern worship teams. We have so much going on in fact that it's hard to talk about everything. So here's a quick reference list of ways that you can get involved. You can find out more about all of these opportunities by going to schweitzer.church next. One last thing, if you're new to Schweitzer and are interested in learning more about what we believe and why, be sure to sign up for our next All In Lunch happening the last Sunday of this month, which is August 28th. You'll get a free lunch, a campus tour, you'll hear from our pastors, and get to ask all the questions that you have. Talk to Corey or sign up online at schweitzer.church next. We are so glad that you've chosen to be here this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping live with us today, we'd encourage you to take a moment, say hello in the chat, greet your neighbors, with the warmth of Christ, just be kind and welcoming to one another to all those who are worshiping today. If you'd like prayer, there's somebody in the prayer room that would be happy to pray with you as, as we go through our worship time. Now, let's prepare our hearts. Holy Spirit, come, lead us and guide us in this worship time together. Uh, let's worship. Articulate 
With a thousand tongues to lift one cry Then north and south and east and west We'd hear Christ be magnified And were the whole earth echoing His eminence his name would burst from sea and sky From rivers to the mountaintops We'd hear Christ be magnified And oh, Christ be magnified let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life, Christ be magnified in me. When every creature Finds its inmost melody And every human heart is native cry In wonder rapture, hear our praise We hear Christ be magnified Oh, Christ be magnified Puts me in the fire. I rejoice because you're there too. And I won't be formed by feelings. I hold fast to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you. Because death is just the doorway into resurrection life. If I join you in your sufferings, then I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, oh, my heart will still be singing and my song will be the same. And oh, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified in the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. 
today as we come to a time of prayer, I'd like to invite you to join me in an older kind of prayer called a, a general confession. It's the first Sunday of the month, a time where we often think about celebrating the Lord's Supper. There's a sense of preparation as we come before the Lord, and some of that preparation is confessing our sins. And so uh, the church has given us some old, old language, enduring language that helps us pray. And then um, we'll have a time of where we can lift up our own prayers, and then we'll say the Lord's Prayer together. So let's, let's pray together today. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we confess that we have sinned and we are deeply grieved as we remember the wickedness of our past lives. We've sinned against you, your holiness and your love, and we deserve only your indignation and anger. We sincerely repent and we are genuinely sorry for all wrongdoing and every failure to do the things we should. Our hearts are grieved, and we acknowledge that we are hopeless without your grace. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us. Forgive us, cleanse us, give us strength to serve and please you in newness of life, and to honor and praise your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now let's lift up our prayers uh, together to the Lord and pray what Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, a couple of weeks ago, a number of students from Schweitzer went to Camp Barnabas. It's a camp near Springfield that, that hosts people with special needs, and our students went to walk alongside of those folks and to grow and to serve in the faith of Jesus Christ. Today, we're excited that Grace Keats, one of our students, has got some some thoughts that she'd like to share with us about that experience. My name is Grace, and I was a missionary at Camp Barnabas this summer. I am Gareth. I went to Camp Barnabas. Basically a camp for people with different types of disabilities. So we had a lot of campers that had Down syndrome, or were autistic, or were confined to a wheelchair. And people with other disabilities to go and just have a camp experience. A normal camp experience, just something that's accessible to them. So they have lots of cool things like the lake is accessible to wheelchairs. Um, it's built so that no matter who you are, you can go and you can have a good time. My job there was a barnstormer, which means that I basically did all of the behind the scenes stuff like resetting the dining hall, washing the bathrooms, all that stuff. It was hard because like the third day you're, you're out, but it was worth it. It was 
exhilarating to help people and it was nice to meet the campers and after all of the work that we did which was a lot we got to do all kinds of fun stuff like go on the lake play nine square hang out go to the game room my role as a missionary was to just kind of be best buddies with my camper for a week and we just basically did everything together um, a lot of campers need help with like ADLs, which are just like assisted daily living. So as a missionary, you get to help somebody like often like use a bathroom or shower or brush their teeth. And it's a really great way to serve. It offers the caretakers and parents of the camper like a retreat, some time to relax by themselves. And it gives the campers like an awesome typical camp experience, just something that's accessible to them. For some people, it gives you like an escape from your life. It's a really nice break, but you also get to help people and love people that might not get the same kind of love in the environment they are at home. And they get to go to a place where they feel included. Of course, you're there to work and you're there to serve, but you're also just there to have fun with your cabin. And really the best thing you can do as a missionary is to be a good friend to your teammates and your camper for that week. You're surrounded by people who have the same faith as you, and you're surrounded by people who really just want to make it an awesome summer for lots of really awesome people. And just seeing that is an amazing experience, and you get to see God work in people's lives. And it's just, it's just a life-changing experience. I would recommend it for anyone. We're so thankful that you and so many of your your other student friends were able to go and serve. Uh, this kind of service, this ministry, conveying the love and the grace of Christ is made possible because of generosity from all of us who are a part of what God is doing and we want to continue to do that. If you want, want to give today, you can go to Schweitzer.church slash give or you can give through the Church Center app. Thank you for your generosity and for the way that it impacts so many people in so many communities. Next up, is Pastor Spencer with week 10 of the Sermon on the Mount, Two Masters. Blessed are the meek, the poor in spirit, the peacemakers, the persecuted. Seek God's kingdom, care for widows, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, give, pray, fast. Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here. Today, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. This is an incredibly important and influential sermon that Jesus preaches. You find it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's so important. We are taking our time on this. It's three chapters, but we're studying this from Memorial Day weekend to Labor Day weekend. All summer long, we're working our way through this sermon. Now, the point of the Sermon on the Mount, what you see Jesus preaching on, is he's describing what is life like in the kingdom of God. And here's some of the things we've seen so far. The sermon opens, and what we learn is that everyone is invited into the life of the kingdom of God. No one is too lost or too hopeless or too far gone. Everyone is invited. That's how the sermon starts, with a poem of blessings, beatitudes, an invitation to absolutely everyone. 
And then as Jesus works his way through the sermon, what we've seen is that the kingdom of God is, is largely about our hearts. Now, when we say our hearts, what we mean is it's about our character, our drive, our ambition, what we think about, our emotions, who we are on the inside. That's what really matters in the kingdom of God. Because as we've said every week in this, in this series is that you can be outwardly religious. You can do all the right things, but on the inside, be far from God. And Jesus didn't come to make us good at religion. Jesus came to give us an encounter with the living God that actually changes our life. And so a couple weeks ago, we started a new section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is explaining to us uh, two things, two hindrances, two things that get in the way of us living into the kingdom of God, two things. And so far we've seen the first one was when we live for the approval of others, this becomes a hindrance into the kingdom of God. And so Jesus talked about how sometimes we do religious acts and we do them for the wrong motives. We do them to get the approval of others. And when we do that, we miss out on the kingdom of God. So he talked about three spiritual acts that we might do, um, giving, prayer, and fasting. He talks about sometimes we do this to oppress other people. And, and let's just be honest. Sometimes we do religious acts exactly for that reason. Sometimes we try to look better than we really are. Sometimes we try to impress people with our spirituality. Sometimes we try to cover up maybe what's going on in our life really with outward devotion. And, and Jesus would say that when we do that with, with those kind of motives, that we are, here's the word, hypocrites. That's the word Jesus uses. The biblical word for that is hypocrites. That's a harsh word, right? To be a hypocrite. That's the word Jesus uses. And, and so today what we're going to do is we're going to shift gears. And for the next two weeks, today and next week, we're going to look at the second one of these hindrances that Jesus gives us. And this second hindrance that Jesus gives to us that's going to keep us from life in the kingdom of God is when we look to our material wealth to provide for us our security, our purpose, our life. When we put that before God, we find ourselves missing out on life in the kingdom. And so today, just to be warned, we're going to talk about money. And I know that's what everyone loves to hear their preacher talk about, but this is where Jesus goes, and this becomes a huge hindrance to life in the kingdom. So let's jump into this. Matthew chapter 6, picking up right where we've left off, verse 19. Here's what Jesus says. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So right off the bat, Jesus has given us a choice here. You can store up two kinds of things. You can live for two purposes here, to live your life for treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. And of course, as we're talking about treasures on earth, we're talking about these material things, this, the, the things that we fill our lives with, the stuff of our life. And so Jesus is giving us a warning that when you fill your life with treasures on earth, what you can buy and purchase and fill your life with, these things will fail you. Treasures on earth, he, he tells us, he gives us a warning here, has a shelf life. These things will, will, will let you down. This is, this is a, a, a warning that we have. And, and of course we know that. I mean, we know that if we live our life for, you know, a bigger house and a new car and a nicer vacation, that those things have like maybe fleeting moments of happiness that they give us. But but they don't provide us ultimate meaning. They don't provide us purpose. They don't provide us a, a real joy and contentment in life. I mean, there's lots of really, really wealthy people who are miserable because these are not, these are not ultimate things, but yet we look to these things to provide us kind of ultimate meaning. And so Jesus is like, hey, these things will let you down. And yet, let's just be, be real, 
lots and lots and lots and lots of people will spend their whole life chasing after treasures on earth. I mean, we're taught from a young age to crave these things, to pursue them, to chase after them. And Jesus is giving us this warning, hey, 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 these things will fail you. Moth and vermin, they'll destroy them. Or as we might say in our common proverb, you can't take it with you. It's not an ultimate thing. So he starts off there and then this is what he says next. This next line is so important. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's so important, I'm gonna read it twice. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You need to underline that verse in your Bible, memorize it, it's just so important. Keep reading here, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, talk about a left turn here. I mean, what in the world are we doing? Jesus is talking about treasures on earth. He's talking about money and what we buy and fill our lives with. And then all of a sudden, he's talking about if your eyes are healthy, your body is healthy. If your eyes are unhealthy, your body is unhealthy. What in the world is he talking about? Well, Jesus is using here a first century Jewish idiom. Idioms, in case it's been a while since you've been in high school, like English class, an idiom is just a figurative way of saying something, of describing something. So we, for instance, we might say something like, you know, it's raining cats and dogs. And if you didn't know that it, that meant it's raining really hard, you'd think to yourself, how in the world is it raining cats and dogs? That's not, that's not something that can happen, but it's an idiom. And so it doesn't actually mean it's raining cats and dogs. In the same way, Jesus doesn't actually mean that the eye is the lamp of the body or that if your eyes are healthy, your body is healthy. It's, a, it's an idiom where he's trying to describe something else. Now the word healthy here that he uses, if your eyes are healthy, another way that you could translate that from the original Greek is you could translate that as sincere or singular. Now that's really interesting. If your eyes are singular, then your whole body will be healthy. Maybe to say that a bit more straightforward, if your eyes are focused on the right thing, then your whole body, your whole life is also going to be focused on the right thing. So this isn't about your eyes being cataracts or glaucoma or needing glasses. This is about the direction that your life is going and what it is that you're focused on. I think about it like this. There is this word that all of us use to describe things that are important to us. And it's a word that we use without really thinking about that makes absolutely no logical sense. I mean, it really doesn't, but it's a word all of us use to describe uh, things that are important to us, and that's the word priorities. I mean, think about that for a second. The word priorities makes no logical sense whatsoever, but it's a word all of us use to describe things that are important to us. The word priorities, it comes from a Latin word, uh, prior, which means what comes before, or you could say what comes first. And what linguists have told us is that the word, uh, this word, was in the English language for 500 years and it was only exclusively used in a singular as priority. But then something happened around the year 1900 where maybe life got a little bit more complicated, things started to change a little bit in society and in, in the English language, we started to use this word in the plural, priorities. And that makes absolutely no sense. We're describing what's important to us, what comes first, 
but we're describing it in the plural. It's like, how in the world can you have multiple things that come first? It makes no logical sense that this is, this is what it is. And, and so when you have your life being full of like priorities, lots of things that are important to you, what you're going to find is that nothing is really important to you. Instead, what's going to happen is your life is going to feel scattered where you're being stretched into all these different kinds of things because you haven't been able to identify the one thing that is most important to you. To quote Jesus, or to paraphrase Jesus, what he would say is if you feel scattered like that, stretched into all kinds of different directions because your priorities are all competing against each other, he would say, your eyes are unhealthy and therefore your body is unhealthy. Now it's interesting to notice that as he talks about having a focus in life, a real priority of the thing that's actually really important to you, he's talking about this in context to what? to treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. In other words, he's talking about this in terms and context of money, our relationship with money. Because life in the kingdom of God, there is going to be a real hindrance if we have the wrong relationship with money. And so Jesus goes on. Here's what he says next. He says, no one can serve two masters. Of course not, because we have to have focus. Our lives have to be focused on one thing. This is an either or situation. So no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then Jesus gets real blunt. In case you've missed it up to this point, he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Now the traditional translation of that last line there, you cannot serve both God and money is this, you cannot serve both God and mammon. And that's the original Greek that's there is the, the word mammon. And it's a little unfortunate that we uh, have substituted the word uh, money for, for manna, mammon because, because mammon has a, has a kind of a broader idea than just money. Now, I know it's more modern, of course, and we don't think we have a lot of mammon sitting around our houses, except we, we actually do when you think about what this word really means. Money, of course, is what sits in the bank. It's what you get in your paycheck. It's what you swipe with your credit card. That's you know, how we think about money. But mammon, the idea of mammon is much, much broader than that. Mammon is all of the stuff, the material possessions that we fill our lives with. We think about the stuff we fill our garages with. That's mammon. We think about the stuff that we stuff our closets full of. That's mammon. The, the things that, that hang around our house and in our homes, that's, that's mammon. It's all of this stuff that we fill our lives with. That's Mammon, and that makes sense that Jesus would be talking about all of this stuff because if you think about his audience here, the people sitting on the hillside that day listening to them, some of them had money, but most of them didn't. And certainly none of them had bank accounts or 401ks or anything like that. I mean, these are folks who had some stuff. I mean, they had maybe cloaks and tunics and maybe a staff or a fishing boat or fishing net or maybe they had sandals. They had stuff in their life. And so Jesus is talking about not just what's in the bank and what do you work for, but really all of the material possessions you fill your life with. Now, some people have wondered and thought to themselves that this word mammon that we use, it's, it's a Greek word, but maybe it's borrowed from another language. And so a lot of scholars believe that this word mammon is borrowed from Aramaic. And Aramaic is a language that Jesus actually spoke. And in Aramaic, the word that mammon is probably borrowed from, what it literally means is that which you trust. Jesus isn't just talking about the stuff that we fill our lives with. 
He's talking about the stuff that we begin to trust in our lives to give us purpose, meaning, significance, status, the things that we try to fill our lives with to impress others, how we look to these things to take care of us, to give us security. This is what he's really talking about is these these things that we fill our lives with. So it's no wonder you cannot serve both God and mammon because you have to make a choice of what are you going to trust to actually take care of you, to be of ultimate purpose for you, to be something that actually gives you purpose, meaning, status, that, that, that gives you a sense of, of belonging. This, this is what Jesus is really talking about. Now, of course, there's a biblical word for whenever we begin to trust in something other than God. And that biblical word is idolatry. Now, you might think to yourself, you hear that word idolatry, well, that's not really my problem. I don't, I don't worship idols. I don't have one statue in my house that I bow down to and pray. And you might think to yourself, I don't have a, you know, a problem with idolatry. But again, if we think about how Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount, idolatry is not just about the outward action of bowing down to a little statue and worshiping it, but rather idolatry is about what happens in our hearts when we begin to value and trust things other than God in our hearts. Do you remember what Jesus said in verse 21? I told you you should underline it. We read it twice. But he said this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter, which is really in your heart, in your character, your thoughts, your drive, your ambition, what, what, what motivates you in life. He really wants to talk about that. What is it that you trust in your life to really ultimately take care of you? Now that line, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. A lot of commentators, I mean for centuries, have noticed that there's this one little word that that they've honed in on that is so vitally important to this idea of of having a heart that's right with God and a right relationship with our stuff. And so a lot of commentators for centuries have honed in on one little word that we're probably tempted to read right past in that verse, but it's a little word that's so absolutely important. I mean, you can draw a straight line from this little word to the issues of idolatry when we begin to trust other things with our, uh, for our lives. And that one little word that commentators have noticed for centuries is this. It's the word your. For where your heart, treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your treasure. We think about this as in your treasure or you might say my treasure there is this tendency to begin to think about the things that we have in our life as ours. And as soon as they become ours, we start to think to ourselves, well, they're mine. I created it. I own it. I can do whatever I want with it because it is mine. All of the stuff in the garage, it's there because of me. All the stuff in the closets is there because of me. I've made it. I've created it. It is mine. I can do whatever I want with it. The great writer A.W. Tozer, he writes this about that little word, and he says this. He says, there is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. He says, it covets things with a deep and fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print but their constant and universal use is significant. They express the real nature of the old Adamic man better than a thousand volumes of theology could. 
They are verbal symptoms of our deep disease. The roots of our hearts have grown down into things, and we dare not pull up our rootlet lest we die. Things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended. And then listen to this last line here. This is so helpful, so important, so wise. Tozer writes this. He says, God's gifts now take the place of God. And the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. One more time, I want to read that last line to you. God's gifts now take the place of God. There is this very ironic thing that happens whenever you start to talk about your treasure, my treasure, what I have. And as soon as you start to think about the things in your life as if they belong to you, what you find very ironically is that you no longer control them, they start to control you. And this is how idolatry happens, is we no longer serve God. We think we have these things that are serving us, but in reality, we begin to serve these things because these things become so important to us that they start to control us. We start to raise them up to ultimate importance. We look to them to provide for us security and purpose and meaning and status. And we try to impress others with what we have. And what we find is that when we do this because we think it's all ours, what really happens is that we lose control and they become begin to control us. So if the wrong relationship to our stuff, the biblical word for the wrong relationship with our stuff is this word, idolatry. There's also a biblical word for the right relationship with our stuff. And that biblical word is stewardship. Stewardship is the idea that everything is actually God's, not ours. And our role as followers of Jesus, those who live in his kingdom, is to manage or steward what it is that God has entrusted to us in our lives. Jesus talked about stewardship in lots of places. Probably the most famous place he talked about stewardship is in Matthew 25, a famous story that he tells. Here's how this goes. Matthew 25, start reading verse 14. Jesus talks about how in the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. This is what God does. He entrusts all of what he has to us. And so to one um, of his servants, he gave five bags of gold. And of course, these bags of gold are going to represent all that we have in our life. Our material possessions, our accomplishments, our skills, our education, our relationships, everything that we have, all of these, these things that we have, these bags of gold represent that. So to one, he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gathered five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And that has always been hilarious to me because what is this guy thinking? How can he think that this is a good idea that I'm going to take what's been entrusted to me and do nothing with it? How did he convince himself that this is what I should do with what's been entrusted to me is just do nothing? Like this is, this is just, how does this enter this man's thought that this is the right thing to do? That he's like, ah, I nailed this assignment because I did nothing with what was entrusted to me. Anyways, verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold 
brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And that servant, the third one who buried the, the treasure, the bag of gold in the ground and didn't do anything with it, I bet he saw that first uh, servant be praised in this kind of way. And I bet he thought this, uh-oh, this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> Anyways, the second man comes forward. The two man with the two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold, so yeah, I've gained you two more. And the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And then, verse 24, such a sad verse. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came, and I imagine he came slowly. And I imagine he came not making eye contact. I imagine he kept his bag of gold down because he's trying to hide it. But as he came, he brings his one bag of gold. He's got to brush the dirt off of it because it's been buried in the ground because he did nothing with it. I bet he comes forward and then, and then the master, he just says, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering you know, scattered seeds. Like, master, I know you have high expectations, but it's like, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is this. He says, well, I was afraid I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Here's some good news. I didn't lose anything. But his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gathered where I've not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. You should have done something with what I entrusted to you. So when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that, listen to this, that worthless servant outside into the darkness will there be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, full disclosure, I don't know what it means to have weeping and gnashing of teeth, but it doesn't sound good. Now, Jesus, he's describing stewardship here. And as he does so, he teaches us two very important things. First, what we see is that we have all been entrusted with what comes to us from God. What we have in our life, everything that we have in our life is actually entrusted to us to God. It's not ours. It's not our treasure. It's not mine to do how I want to do with it. It actually belongs to God. And we have to make a, a mindset shift where we begin to see all of the things in our life, our material possessions, our relationships, our skills and talents, our, our education. What is it? We, we have to see all of this and say, you know what? This is not mine. This is actually God's. Everything I have is actually his. And when we make that shift, we are no longer being controlled by what we have. Instead, we are now in control and we are using what is actually God's for his purposes. And this is what we see throughout scripture. I mean, there's just this consistent message throughout scripture that everything is the Lord's. And so the first message of, of stewardship that we have to learn is that everything is actually God's. And when we do this, we realize this and make this shift, there is freedom that comes with it because we know my job is just to manage what is actually God's to begin with. But then there's a second message here about stewardship that Jesus wants us to hear. And the second message is simply this, that God takes stewardship very seriously. I mean, this story is meant to be a warning for us not to sit back and be light about this, but to understand that we will be held accountable for what we've done with what God has entrusted to us. You see, 
there's two relationships that we can have with the stuff in our life. We can see it as ours, which inevitably leads for it controlling us, and that's a relationship of idolatry. Or we can understand that everything we have comes from the Lord and belongs to the Lord. Therefore, it's His. And our job is to manage what He's entrusted to us. So let's get practical. Let me ask you a really simple and yet pointed question. When you think about your material possessions in life, what of those two words describes your relationship to it? Idolatry or stewardship? Does it control you or do you control it? Is it all yours or is it actually God's? Which of those two words describes your relationship with all of the stuff in your life? You see, you are invited to life in the kingdom of God. But be warned, there are things that are going to stand in the way. And one of those things that has the potential to stand in the way is our relationship with all of the stuff that we have, our material wealth and our material possessions. And we have a choice of how we're going to live in the kingdom. Will we worship it and trust in it, or will we understand this is all God's to begin with? And so therefore, let's be good stewards. Let's pray. So Father, we hear these words that Jesus teaches. It's so challenging to us and practical, and we need to understand and take time to think through these of what is our relationship like with with the things that fill our life. For some of us, we need to make a mental shift. It's not ours. None of it is ours. It's all God's, and so therefore, we want to use it for your purposes. We want to take practical steps to begin thinking, how can I use my life my gifts, my money, my time, my resources, my talent, my skills. How can I use this for your kingdom? Because this is the life of stewardship. Father, would you speak into our hearts and our challenge where it is that we've put money in too high of a place so that we can have a biblical relationship with the things of our life. We can, we can steward them well in order to hear from you at the end of our days. Well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we thank you that your mercy is always new to us. And so even when we fail in this, we know that your grace and your mercy is always before us. We also wanna pray for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know what life in the kingdom is like, hasn't taken that step of faith to trust you. And we just wanna take that step in a simple prayer where we say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin and would you lead my life? Lord, we love you and we thank you. In the name of Jesus, our savior, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in Worship Today. We hope this time encouraged you, challenged you, built you up in the Lord. And if you haven't, if you haven't taken a step of faith, we encourage you to take a step of faith. Ask Christ to be a part of your life. Say yes to Him and see where the adventure with Jesus goes. It is an awesome adventure. Uh, a big thank you to those who helped lead us in worship today, to Stephanie, to the people behind the camera like Taylor and Alec and other folks who do the smart stuff that I can't do, to Spencer for sharing that great message. If this encouraged you today, we'd love for you to share it with some other folks. Um, let the blessing of God, the teaching of Jesus, flow into and through us to others. We invite you to come back next week when we're going to have week 11 
And the question is, why worry? Jesus is going to talk to us about the worry in our lives. Look forward to having you with us. I'm Pastor Jason. Have a great week. Peace. Just to